Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posting April 1st, 2016, we begin a special two-part audio feature, Black and Often Blue in the EU, complementing the new WPJ Spring issue, cover line, Black Lives Matter Everywhere. You're listening to World Policy on Air. Now part one of Black and Often Blue in the EU. Photojournalist Damaso Reyes speaks with Polish citizens of African descent about their varying experiences in that largely white nation. I'm Damaso Reyes, a journalist who has been documenting the changing face of Europe for the past decade. Among the things I've observed is that immigration is a complicated multi-generational process that becomes even more complex with the distance, literally and culturally, of the relocation. It's often hard for Caucasian Turks or Kosovars to adjust to life in Germany or Scandinavia, but it can be even harder when racial differences enter the equation. To bring a global dimension to Black History Month, I offer this documentary, Germany and Poland's Black History which examines the lives of citizens of color in the two parts of once-divided Germany, as well as Poland. In Poland today, two of the hardest burdens to bear are the otherness of being of a different race and being descended from a country and culture foreign to other Poles. The other burden is being seen as the manifestation of the legacy of the hated old communist regime. Today's black citizens of Poland live with both burdens. Warsaw today is a bustling capital city of a proud member of the European Union. While there are still some remnants of Eastern Bloc architecture, the city center has glass malls filled with the same international chain stores you'll find throughout Europe. So it's easy to forget that in the 1970s and 80s, the Soviet Union and its satellites were locked in a battle with the United States for the hearts and minds of the so-called non-aligned states that made up much of the developing world in Africa. These nations consciously refused to pick a side between the Cold Warriors and allowed both sides to court them. While the Americans and Soviets fought proxy wars in Vietnam, Afghanistan, and later Central America, they also used soft power in the form of aid and, crucially to our story, scholarships. The cream of Africa's intelligentsia were offered the chance to attend universities throughout the Soviet Union and its allies. On my first evening, I talked with Sarah Grunberg, a Polish-American PhD candidate and professor at Ithaca College who is studying Afro-Polish identity. We meet at a trendy bar with outdoor seating in the heart of the city where she explained who these young pioneers were. In the 1980s, there were a lot of individuals from African countries who were getting stipends to study in Poland. Basically, there were kids who were uh, college students at that time who were receiving some sort of financial aid to study in communist countries. You know, many had no idea what they were getting into or knew very little about Poland. Basically, coming over with very little knowledge, learning the language, and staying for a few years, and sometimes starting families. Larry Oke Ugu came to Poland from Nigeria in 1982 to study law. While he didn't receive a scholarship like so many others, 
The low tuition and cost of living described by a friend studying in Poland prompted him to impulsively give up his plans to study in Spain and move to Poland instead. Today he's the head of the Baltic Sea Cultural Center in the northern city of Gdansk. Larry had no idea that his first years would be happening in the middle of Poland's Solidarity Movement, which saw the first cracks in the communist system appear when dockyard workers at the Lenin shipyards began protesting and striking to have their independent union recognized. By 1989, millions of people around Eastern Europe and even the Soviet Union were also saying no, and Larry was there to see what happened next. I was in Germany when the Germans got united. Oh my God, it was like a, a dream. Sometimes I say, oh no, it's, it's not possible. I, I can't believe this because it was a wave, like a wave of freedom blowing around the continent and especially the eastern part of the continent. I was just shouting, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, is this real? Is this really happening or am I dreaming? But it was really happening. So I'm a, a witness to history of this continent because uh, nobody ever thought that uh, the system will come down so easily and without bloodshed as it happened in Poland. While that wave of freedom crested around Eastern Europe freeing millions, Larry and his fellow students paradoxically found themselves far less free in some ways than they were under communism. I traveled to Sopot, a seaside town just outside of Gdansk, to meet Harris Mawasi, in a hotel which happened to be hosting a wedding reception. A softly spoken man of stately bearing, he came to Poland in 1978 from the Volta region of Ghana. He didn't have an opportunity to study in the West, so he applied for and received a scholarship to go to Poland after an uncle who had studied there told him it was a good place to learn. Now a senior manager at the Port Authority, he recalls life during this time of transition. Just after the system was changed here, it was not safe. Hooligans were attacking us on the streets, beating us. Even not only blacks, but we were on <laughs> more on the receiving end. There are so many experiences of beatings that if I want to recount, it would take us maybe the whole <laughs> week or a month to tell you everything that happened. All these people who attacked us did not have any contacts with foreigners. And in some people, racism is inbuilt, and they could not phantom the fact that there are foreigners in their country. After the demise of communism, people got freedom, but they did not understand the meaning of freedom those days. To most people those days, democracy meant to them doing anything that they wanted. Larry also lived through this time of transition and saw firsthand what it meant for him and other African immigrants. The system didn't support racism officially. But the wave after the fall of uh, this system, then people felt free. There are this group of people that think that, oh, now we are free, now we can be like the rest of white people, we can be racists. And there are these skinheads that started developing rampantly everywhere. During the communist system, they could not show their heads so openly. They were there, but they, they were kind of downpressed. So after the fall of communism, they said, oh, we have democracy now, we are free, we can act. It was an open attack on the streets, you know, many places. In concerts, they enter concerts and they, they'll start fighting, start beating people. And uh, many blacks were attacked on the streets, you know, walking on the streets. You don't know what someone will attack you from behind you know, with a bottle or something like that. And you no, know, it was very, very uh, worrisome. 
While it's been 25 years since Poland shifted democracy, the after-effects of that wave of racism the transition set free is still being felt today with an increase in racist and violent attacks against people of color in Poland, according to the Helsinki Foundation. I spoke with John Martin Okuth, a professor at Warsaw University's African Studies Department, who came to Poland from Kenya in 1989 just as the democratic revolution was sweeping the continent and can attest to how the threat of violent racism still haunts people of color in Poland today. I had some very serious incidents some two or three years ago, and that clearly made me understand that these people look at black people completely differently. I was with a friend and we met somewhere, we sat in a pub and as I was walking to the tram stop, it was about 7 p.m. I, it was my mistake anyway because it was just after the football match. You could expect all the hooliganism around and I was right in the middle of them. A few of them beat me up and I was for about two weeks in hospital. Everybody I knew, almost all my students, came to the hospital and the common denominator was that everybody was telling me I'm very sorry for what my fellow countrymen have done to you. How can I say that these people are bad or these people are racist when I see that I have more people on my side, more people who are ready to help me in any situation than one or two, two people I meet once in a while on the streets. But from your perspective, was it clear that you were attacked because you were a black man in that situation? I would say yes, because, I mean, how can you explain a situation where they pass everybody else, but they stop at one person and beat him up? I was beaten up because I was black, because I can't find any other reason for that. The 1989 generation, the children of people like Larry, John, and Harris who were born in Poland, have faced less direct violence, but have had the daunting task of finding, and in some cases fighting for who they are in a society which is overwhelmingly white. I first met Margaret Oya several years ago while she was a doctoral candidate in linguistics who was preparing to come to the United States on a Fulbright Fellowship. Three years later, we meet in her hometown of Roszlaw, where she recently defended her dissertation, which examined the way in which Polish codes racism into the very fabric of the language. Her father came to Nigeria to study medicine in 1978, and like so many others, he fell in love with a Polish woman, and they had two children. When Margaret was an infant, the family moved to Nigeria, but tragedy struck when Margaret's father was killed in a traffic accident. Soon thereafter, right around the transition to democracy, her mother returned to Poland, and Margaret was faced with the challenge of finding her place in a land she had longed for but barely remembered. I was very disappointed. I was very disturbed at that point, Analyzing it now from an adult perspective, it was very, as it was a disturbing moment for me, kind of disoriented. So I'm going back home, and again, I'm looking different than the majority of children, the majority of people in general. Kids would call me Muzenek Bambo, which means a little Negro. It was very painful. My first impression was a huge disappointment that the place I thought of as a home turned out not to be again. I was pissed off. I was very angry that the place that I hoped would be my home, that I would find a home and I would be welcome, is not. 
And the way I dealt with it, I think I was trying to be accepted as much as I can using the tools that I had. And one of them was uh, definitely my brain. And uh, so I would be the best student at school. After experiences abroad as a student in the Netherlands and the United States, Margaret feels like she has come to terms with the richness of who she is. Her feelings are mirrored by Polish society at large, she says. I think most people are willing to accept me as full Polish. Uh, I'm speaking from a perspective of the PhD holders or someone that mainly interacts uh, within the society of intellectuals and people with race awareness and also living in a relatively large city. But also I think that the Polish society is changing. More and more Poles are seeing people of color who had been born and raised in Poland as equal nationals, as equal Poles. So I think that it's been changing rapidly. And I must admit that, yes, people do accept me as a Pole. While Margaret has found a measure of acceptance, especially among those who share her world of academia, Polish society is still struggling with the idea of Polish people who are not white. It used to be a prerequisite for Polishness, white uh, skin color. For many years, I don't want to say for centuries, because up until the Second World War, Poland was uh, very heterogeneous and it was very multicultural and it established itself as a very tolerant country. But after the Second World War, it, it changed. The vast majority of people that stayed in Poland were white. And, um, stereotypical or a standard version of, of a Pole was, was someone who would be white. And I think this image still prevails in many domains of life. It's shifting slightly and people are more willing to perhaps break this attachment of the Polish nationality to the whiteness. In Krakow, I visit a hacker space and speak with 30-year-old Damien Abouche, whose story is similar to Margaret's in many ways, but whose perspective is somewhat different. Born in a small town in Poland to a Nigerian father who came to Poland to study, his family left for Nigeria when he was just six months old. His father, too, would die when he was still a child, and his family returned to Poland when he was seven. When I was small in Nigeria and I asked my father, I wanted to come to Poland, you know, to see snow because I never saw snow and I dreamt to just see snow. And when I asked my father, when can we come to Poland? I saw he always went quiet, you know, and didn't answer me about this. Yeah, now I understand actually why. I heard stories that when my father and my mother went just walking through, you know, casually to the street, People just had the nerve to come to them, just wipe their finger on my father's face, just to check if the paint is not coming off. They had this kind of mindset. When I was the first day in school, I actually beat a kid because you could feel the aggression and negative attitude to you. In time, I hated everything that was Polish, but that's quite a normal experience because I got a lot of hates from kids. In time, I found more connection to my African roots and also helped me go through the struggle, you know, I was going through. As a child, there were some times where I wanted just to be quiet and normal and have all this problem go away or just be accepted by the rest of the kids. There's a funny thing about mixed kids uh, here in Poland, because in Africa, 
were white. <laughs> Here in Poland, we're, we're black, right? <laughs> so we even joke that we don't have our own place, you know? And sometimes we joke that we, have, we should also conquer some kind of island, and so we have our own island, you know, for mixed kids. When I was in school, I felt no support from anybody, like everybody was against me. My family told me, oh, the kids just are jealous, don't mind them, or oh, it's like nothing. They have no knowledge or experience how is it to live in Poland and be black and go through all this. So even if somebody is not trying to take your life or beat you or just only talk shit to you, races influence your daily life. While he struggled with the effects of racism, Damien says that it made him stronger and helped him become the person he is today. He was among a group of biracial Poles who founded a community on Facebook called the Polish Mulatos Movement a few years ago, which now has over 600 members. As difficult as his experience growing up was, Damien chose to stay in Poland, moving from his small hometown to the much bigger and cosmopolitan Krakow, where he's found a community that accepts him, and where he's decided to become a force for change. You can be a bitch and cry how the world is bad place and how people are racist, or you can try to do something about it. Martin Luther King tried to do something about it and made change. Gandhi made change. Mandela made change. Alexandra Sweat is a living example of that change. Born to a Nigerian father and Polish mother, the 25-year-old has been working in Polish television and film since she was five years old. When we talked at a trendy cafe in Warsaw, she told me about how her status as a recognizable face has made her experience different than that of other biracial Poles, but that she still has struggled with feeling out of place as well. She told me a story of an encounter she had with some Nigerian men on the street a few years ago. They began talking, and one of them reached out for her arm. Looking back, Alexandra said she thought the gesture wasn't menacing, but an expression of the different way in which they understand personal space. In the moment, she reacted like a Polish woman would, jerking her arm back. Offended by her reaction, the man called her a piece of white trash. It was heartbreaking for me because I had the idea that I don't exactly fit in the stereotypes of Polish woman because of my skin color, but the way I was raised made me a white trash in the eyes of uh, real African people. So I don't fit anywhere. And it was very, very, very difficult for me, but for a while, because I understood that the most important thing is what I feel and what I think about myself. And for sure, I see myself as a Polish woman with other skin, of course, a little bit exotic, but for sure, I'm a Polish woman. On my last morning in Warsaw, I speak with 29-year-old John Ekwa at a park near his home. The son of a Cameroonian man and Polish mother, he was born and raised in the Polish capital. A big man who was thoughtful and soft-spoken, John told me about a life that was filled with supportive people, but feeling at the same time unsure about if he was really Polish. As we finished our conversation, I asked him a question that I'd asked everyone I had interviewed and got a response I wasn't expecting. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you would like to share? Well, maybe do I regret that I was born in Poland? Maybe that would be the, the question. And the reason why I came up with this question is that I think it's an obvious thing to ask. 
Because when you are young, as a mulatto in such a weird country, you feel like a bit left out, you know? Like without your natural environment, like some exotic animal in a cage. So you think that if you were somewhere in France or Africa, or whatever, you would feel less different and you would be where you should be, where you belong. <laughs> But this feeling is getting less dominant when you are growing up. Mm -hmm. But the question will always be there. Whether I lost the opportunity to be with black people, members of my far, far away family. Did I miss this chance to build this side of my cultural heritage? I don't know. Damn. <laughs> this is really difficult. This is really difficult. But I think it's an important question. Do I regret? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that uh, if you asked me like about that 10 years ago or something, perhaps I would say yes, I regret that I haven't spent more time with other black people and you know didn't have a support of any sort of black community because there was none when I was a teenager. That I regret, of course. But in general, do I regret? Oh. I can always pack my things and go elsewhere. And in Poland, believe it or not, sometimes being different, it's a strong asset. <laughs> black lives matter, and so does black history. Whether it's made in the USA or on the often slippery terrain of Central and Eastern Europe. I'm Damaso Reyes, and this has been Germany and Poland's Black History. This documentary was made possible by a grant from the International Center for Journalists, and parts of this program were originally aired on Here and There with Dave Marish, on KSFR-FM in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and at ksfr.org, where you can access the complete library of more than 200 other Here and There programs. Photojournalist Damaso Reyes is a senior fellow of the World Policy Institute, Born and raised in Brooklyn, he began his career as a stringer for New York's Amsterdam News. Since then, his images and articles from around the world have appeared in publications including the Wall Street Journal, the San Francisco Chronicle, Der Spiegel, and World Policy Journal. Featured in the WPJ Spring issue, Black Lives Matter Everywhere, You'll find articles about black power in the French Band News, race and revolution in Cuba, and building solidarity across national borders. And listen next week when our podcast will present part two of Black and Often Blue in the EU. Damaso Reyes speaks with East and West Germans of African descent about their varying experiences in that largely white and once most racially sensitive nation. World Policy on Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, Managing Editor Jaffa Frederick, Podcast Producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern.